for some reason I'm uh, I'm not fully content unless I'm you know the fastest on this day or beating my PB here or there, which I never would really care about in any other sport time. Although it just seemed like a few close mates that none of us really knew where we'd end up. That cars were full of. Uh, Jolian Palmer, Max Chilton, Adrian Quay Fobbs, Luciano Bacchetta, myself, you know, some names that went on to do very good things, and of course, Formula One for a few of them as well. Everything in school that, again, would relate towards getting sponsors and keeping racing going. So I would, when, when I picked my A-levels, I picked them purely as to what will help me make the best PDF that I can send to, like, a dream partner. So I picked... Uh, economics, business studies and photography. So that was the only reason for my choices in school. No passion other than just how will it make me understand their needs so that I can get what I need from them and they can see a good relationship between us. I really feel like I need another little bit of time to myself if I really want to get the most out of myself here. So it feels like sometimes you are sacrificing a little bit of your own mm. pace, time and talent to, to give that to the team and the other driver fear and and risk is a big thing so how did you guys talk about that and, and you staying you staying you so she's a, a, a skydiver herself so she, she never really saw racing as i say she never saw it as dangerous she saw a couple of crashes and, and then maybe got worried but it was never really anything where she was like oh you need to be safe because i could just be like well you need to stop jumping out of planes then if i was to say the next five ten years are going to be some of the best five ten years you can possibly have for you, what, what is the, the plan and what would be the, the goals around that? The goal would be to win them all. Racing go-karts as a kid gave me a passion for racing and cars that hasn't stopped since. Welcome to the Ignition podcast. I started my journey being obsessed with how things work and cars were just a natural progression. And because of the career advice I was given and the lack of knowledge about the automotive and motorsport sectors in schools, I created this podcast to speak to the people living lives I wish I'd known about earlier. And through that curious nature, I will discover how they got to where they are today. Oliver James Webb, a racing driver, father, husband and businessman. He has many titles. Still, labels are optional. What isn't optional to him, though, is making sure that his, he races to the best of his ability, making sure that when he puts his suit on, his focus is 100% on the race and nothing else. Taking inspiration from podcasts and finding his unique way to market his investors in racing, Ollie in this episode will give you a masterclass what being a racing driver at the highest levels can look like for you. Hey, I wanted to start off this episode in a different way. We were, thanks to you guys listening, in the top 10% of podcasts most shared globally which is so impressive and means so much to me for a podcast that is less than a year old. Still, I want to set you a challenge of getting into that top 1%. So if you have ever enjoyed an episode or thought that the message from a guest was worth sharing, please send that episode to your friends. If you know someone that loves cars and is looking to get into the industry or change careers, help give them some inspiration. And speaking of inspiration, let's see what we got today. The new sponsor to join the podcast has been keeping me grounded for quite a while. Now, I don't think I've shared this with you before, but I love socks, almost to the point of obsession. So when I found Hilltread, I was overwhelmed with such a large array of designs, from Ferrari to Porsche and even Lamborghini. I've fallen in love with the mini socks, so if you want to keep yourself grounded and grounded in your passion, there is no other place to look. So go over to hilltread.com and get yourself 10% off using code ignition 10 and um, ollie it's a it's a, it's a it's a pretty simple start to this um and the first question is, is what, what ignited your passion for cars in the first place um my passion for cars actually came through uh like the old school um kind of hot rod style uh magazines that i used to get when i was in france actually when i was a kid i remember going mm. uh to uh the kind of like corner shops uh, on school holidays um, in this little town in the south of France because part of my family's French and uh, getting a bag of sweets and then getting um, like car buzz, the equivalent of what it was called in France, which was kind of your, your Sax Max and Clio's with big neon lights underneath it and big yeah. go faster stripes and flames down the side. Um, and that was my first passion. And then um, I fell into karting after that by accident, but it, it was never really a passion through the family. It was just something that that I fell into, uh, yeah, through through liking Superboy racery cars when I was younger. So, and what is it about the karting for you then? Because I've, I've spoken to different racing drivers at different levels, and they've all said that 
it was it was all about sort of I guess honing your skills and learning. But what is was it for you that that casting gave you that young age? I think something that I was competitive in sports wise that I wasn't getting from anywhere else because I was mm. never I was never super sporty in anything else really. I mean, I enjoyed keeping fit when I was younger. I enjoyed a bit of running. I enjoyed a bit of athletics at school, but I tried rugby, was never good at it. Tried football, was never good at it. Um, I never really particularly wanted to be good at any of them either. It was They, they weren't massively addicting to me. Uh, yeah. And then I just went karting one day and, and uh, you know, never thought of it again, thought it was just a, a, a hobby. And someone told me it could be a sport and I didn't realize it classed as a sport back then. And um, that was it. I got hooked and I was like, oh, wow, can people actually make a living out of this? Is this possible? Obviously, I was soon to find out that most likely no, but <laughs> you can still try. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And I mean, I know personally for me, competitiveness comes from my some of my parents. Um, but where did you sort of like these traits that when you look at your parents, is anything you realize for yourself, like early influences, things that they might have instilled in you? Like what are those things that kind of make you today? Like, I think I, my dad was always quite competitive in in business and he was always a hard worker. I'd say certainly the hard the hard working part of that um, came from him. Um, both my brothers um, were super competitive in in their own right and between us as brothers, um, mm-hmm. both super hyper, um, both both on all sorts of different forms of Ritalin when they were younger for ADHD <laughs> and bouncing off the walls. And I was kind of the, the middle child left in the car and forgotten about. Um, but they were great. The, the fact that that kind of competitive edge between us grew. Um, but yeah, it was it was mainly me when I was on the track that I found. Okay, this is where I, for some reason, I'm uh, I'm not fully content unless I'm you know the fastest on this day or you know beating my PB here or there, which I never would really care about in any other sport. Yeah, and so does that does that carry on through to other places in life? Like, are you always looking for I guess the next the next best improvement? Is that something that you try and try and take into your personal life as well? Yeah, I do now. It it always stems back to um motorsport for me because it's just been so it's just taken over my life in in so many different forms that yes it's extended into my personal life in in wanting to be more competitive in terms of um i don't know having more more uh, partners that i enjoy working with or, or more sponsors or being able to go to more places to travel the world but it all stems to i want to travel the world while racing and I want yeah. to work with more people so that I can do more racing. And it kind of all goes with back to that. Exactly. And so what was the conversation that you had at such a young age with karting and how did that progress? So like when you were told that this karting thing could be a sport is a sport and you can actually make something else yeah, out of it. Yeah. It, I was, I was lucky at the time um, that karting still at least makes me sound old, but it wasn't that long ago. Karting still at, at that point uh, about 20 years ago, when I was 10 was still affordable. It was still something that could be classed as a hobby. Okay. Yes. It's an expensive hobby, but it's a few hundred pounds to a thousand pounds here or there. It's not six figures like some karting is today, which is, which Mm. is quite crazy to kind of wrap your head around. But back then I only ever did club level karting. I only did it, ever did it on a certain scale. And I only ever did about a year and a half of it. Um, And it became this thing where, okay, you can take Saturday and Sunday off, um and go to i think i first started at uh, an indoor go-kart track daytona milton Day- uh, no it was daytona uh manchester indoor karting yeah. so it was just arrive and drive karting and then they made this championship where you can go once a month um and then i think i finished second or something in that and then i actually went rotax karting after that but again only club level uh wigan and gyg were my stomping ground and then um yeah, when I when I won the championship in in a Rotax, that was mm. what made me decide. Okay, what's the quickest way to get into a car? And so, those listening, what is the quickest way? I and mean, I know personally, for me, I, I carted when I was younger, but I never got any further than further than that. So, so for you, what was the quickest way, and how did you find that journey? So again, I was lucky at the time. Is just when um, three championships were coming out, which was Junior Genetta's, um T cars and Saxmax, I believe it was called. I think they were the only three that you could do when you were 14. Mm. Um, and you could start testing at 12 or 13 if you had written consent and permission from the MSA and you had a full license holder in your passenger seat, much like kind of a theory test on the road. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was it. At 13, I was I was in a T-car. 
um, which was this big, in my ignorant young guy, Subaru looking road car. You know, I thought I was Colin McRae on the road and um, I was out at uh, Bedford and Millbrook and all these tracks that you can kind of get away with when you're alone uh, driving them. And that was, and I think still is the quickest way, although T-Cars doesn't exist, um, there's still versions of Sax Max Championship. And of course, Junior Genetics is very popular now. Unfortunately, due to its popularity, it's also very expensive now because it's on the Toka package, which is touring cars for anyone who, who doesn't know. Um, and although they're affordable cars to run, they're, they're yeah. on, you know, they're live on ITV on race weekends. So of course, it makes it very, very um, popular to a lot of uh, families to put their their sons into and daughters into. Yeah, and so when did you realize that okay, this 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 karting thing is is turning into the the cars, and then obviously that and progresses to right. I now I need to take this more seriously. So what was the conversation around that? I mean, where did you want to see yourself after that moment? Um, in terms of when it came across as a conversation, I think it became a bit more serious when so I did my first year in in cars, mm. um, and at the time, although it just seemed like a few close mates um that none of us really knew where we'd end up the championship happened although it was only nine ten cars deep those nine ten cars were full of uh Jolian Palmer Max Chilton Adrian Quay Farbs Luciano Bacchetta myself you know some names that went on to do very good things and of course Formula One for a few of them as well mm. when I finished that year um I can't remember where I finished in the full championship second or third and and then the winter series I think I won that and then I got approached by BMW to do a scholarship and that's when it became serious because BMW were like, okay, well, if you do this, some of the races are abroad. You need to be there from Thursday to Sunday every week. And I was at a boarding school at the time. Um, So there was kind of a bit of a deal struck up within my family, which is okay. If you win the scholarship and you get uh, some help from the funding from the scholarship and the school agrees then you can do it. Uh, and then I had to get like a, a minimum grade level throughout uh, my years at school to be allowed to carry on. So it was that balance. So, and although at the time it felt severely unfair to try and get grades that other kids were being asked to get at the same time as racing and try and do both just as well. Now I fully appreciate why uh, my parents instilled that in me. So I was coming back from, I won the scholarship, luckily myself and Henry Surtees, um, rest his soul we we both won that scholarship and then yeah. yeah I would come back from races Sunday night work through the night hand in my homework on Monday morning and then kind of go again on Thursday yeah it is inc- it's crazy because as a kid you're, you're, you're that busy I guess you're, you're, you're going through all of that uh and so how did you how did you deal with it how did you cope with with all the with all the hustle and bustle was it just a, the sheer enjoyment of the sport so it didn't seem like work yeah it didn't seem at all like I was having to it didn't seem like a okay sacrifice is the wrong word because okay yes i was sacrificing uh social life 100 yeah. percent. i was sacrificing uh time at school and and sleep um but it i still felt uh way more lucky than i did um hard done by so it didn't feel what as i was up you know doing that homework trying to kind of rush it to get it in while while hoping i get the right grade so i'm allowed to do the next race and i didn't feel um in any way like I, I wasn't extremely fortunate i just wanted to keep working and over delivering as much as i could yeah. uh, so that i could keep doing what i was doing because i never although i had this big dream of being in f1 i also knew in the back of my head i never know when this is going to stop and right now i'm living you know i could be in a classroom and i'm on a i'm on a racetrack yeah and so where did this sort of i guess the not self-awareness came from because if you're realizing that all these things are happening and you you're you're able to have gratitude for this as well at the same time where did you learn those skills from i guess i mean family for sure um my parents have been amazing support um both emotionally and and again when i was in karting financially and and coming up through the ladder until I finally, you know, you can finally call yourself a professional racing driver, which which either a lot of the time either doesn't happen or it takes way longer than people think, you know, way, 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 way into your 20s if you're not a Formula One driver. But yeah, I think it must have come, it must have come from them. And I think also maybe the surroundings that I was in, 
at boarding school and, and seeing other people's paths and, and being in classes and, and learning stuff that I, I just never thought was ever going to be applicable to myself or, yeah. you know, hearing between friends, how much they're looking forward to, to sport time or, or going out and playing football. And to them, that was their release. And to me, it was actually just another thing I had to do to get to Thursday before leaving for the race weekend again. Yeah. And looking back, do you ever wish you had that, that sport time and you had that relationship with those friends? Yeah, I mean, I made some really good friends when I was at school, but I definitely missed out on the the social side. We were an all-boys school at the time, surrounded by four all-girls schools. So you can just imagine what the weekends were like and the sneaking around and the the, the sheer uh, naughty activity that was happening. And I was just never involved in all of that um, and gutted to do so. I'd come back on a Sunday and hear about all the exploits of, of my mates uh, yeah. throughout the, uh, the week before and yeah i wasn't that part i certainly missed out on and and missing out on the stories that everyone knew about except me um so i ended up making friends outside of that at the racetrack had a much smaller circle but a circle that i was happy with so um i think a lot of people today are still really close with their school friends um yes i don't have that but i do really appreciate the circle that i have who have also experienced the same things i've experienced so i can now actually relate to those stories when i come back from a trip no it's brilliant i guess it's one of those things where even now it applies to life where you go look at your circle and you look at who you surround yourself with because if you're surrounding yourself with a lot of people that don't care about you it's a lot different to having a very small select few people that do yeah yeah exactly yeah and so ollie when it came to i guess getting sponsorship because money is a big thing in motorsport it's a big thing that people do like are subject to how did you say yourself to sponsors and how did you make yourself different and say yourself i guess yeah to these sponsorships so i guess now it would be an answer that would be maybe a little bit more common but Mm. back then it was maybe something less done by and that was the fact that i always instilled i would had this push and, and passion in myself to uh to study everything in school that again would relate towards getting sponsors and keeping racing going so mm. i would when when i picked my a levels i picked them purely as to what will help me make the best pdf that i can send to like a dream partner so i picked uh, economics business studies and photography so i can do the pictures and videos myself i can make them i can understand the business proposal i can economically make it viable and then send it off to them so that was the only reason for my choices in school no passion other than just how will it make me understand their needs so that i can get what i need from them and they can see a good relationship between us and that started really young even from when i got my first car so when i got that bmw scholarship I got offered, a, weirdly, a company car at the age of 15, yeah. which I couldn't drive yet. Um, but when I was 16, it would turn up at my house. And this was like, you know, un, uh, unfathomable to me that I was going to get this Mini Cooper arrive at my house at 16. And it was going to be 50% funded by um, by them. So yeah. the idea was then, okay, I've got to convince my parents to fund 50% of what is maybe a higher end first car compared to what i was going to get but they only have to pay 50 percent of it so i remember making this big spreadsheet about the monthly payments versus what they're getting versus what i'm getting um and then uh well it's a bit of a side story but then yeah on the day that it arrived it was meant to be a mini cooper s and it turned up and it was a mini cooper and of course i was still over the moon but as, as i found out my uh my powerpoint presentation spreadsheet only went so far as to when i found out what the insurance would be it was way more than the actual cost of the car so i ended up with a i think it was a mini one or mini cooper instead of what was being offered it's a shame to be offered a a free cooper s and and not being able to insure it but um so yeah i studied that at school and and took my passion of photography and videography really early on so i had a Facebook page and Instagram page so early Mm. on that just purely naturally through making good content when I was younger and loving making it to be able to push to these bigger brands. I mean, I would weekly at 15, 16 years old, reach out and email to the most obscene brands thinking that they were going to, now I think about it then and think that was a bit silly, but I was literally just reaching out to Shell, to McDonald's, to this brand, to that brand and, 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 trying to sell myself to them and i really enjoyed that process i enjoyed that at the time and now obviously 
Oh, I'd saying that saying that using content and making these uh, presentations and reaching out that's a much more common thing everyone has an Instagram page everyone has a yeah. social profile but at the time not many people did so so I managed to stand out in the crowd quite early on and making content that was better than most out there now it's so hard to compete and I'm still trying to do it but it's uh, it takes much more time than it used to no, yeah, I, I, I guess I've seen your I've seen your channel on YouTube. It's, it's like from six, seven, eight years ago of, of, of stuff you created. Then it's, it's brilliant to see that even then you were thinking about about content creation because it now, like you say, it's a huge thing. I'm doing it. Everyone's doing it. Your neighbor's doing it. It seems like everyone started a YouTube channel. So, how did you find the content creation and and, and where did you, the ideas come from? I guess when you look at the the content flow as well. So yeah, when I started, I was. Uh in between testing on a little handy cam that I'd got from Argos and phone pictures that I was kind of putting together into these, uh, you know, iMovie style projects and just putting them out there. And then I thought, actually, I'm getting to drive cars that most people would dream of. Why don't I kind of start doing point of view? So very, mm. very early on before it became quite a big thing to post now. I mean, there's dedicated channels to it. I was posting kind of grainy GoPro one um quality point of view videos and they were i think an example is like i think maybe it was 11 years ago or 10 years ago like racing a mclaren p1 on a track day which you know at 20 years old and or 19 years old or whatever i was at the time um it was getting half a million a million views which back then was I guess in the same way that currency that was like getting 10 million yeah. views 10 years ago. Um, and, and even now I would dream of getting that many now because it's just gotten harder, but that's the kind of content I was putting out and it was getting a huge audience because I had more of the audience watching um, and a less saturated market. I still make the same kind of content, but now this, the demands are so high in terms of what you have to put out, but also the demands are so high from race teams. Now that it's my profession, I'm either racing with a, with an AM driver or mm. for a manufacturer, whether it be McLaren or whoever. And I can't be seen as much as I'd love to be, to be fiddling around with my cameras too much when I'm meant to be looking at data. or And, and also for myself, my, my passion is to be uh, and, and dream is to be the quickest on the track every time I go out. So I can't be two people at the same time. I used yeah. to be able to be because um, the demand from the team was a lot less. Technically, I was a paying customer. For instance, if I was karting or whatever, you know, you can do what you want. You're the one yeah. hiring your own cart. Yeah. But now I can't be seen to be doing that and don't want to be doing that because the demands are too high from both sides. So it's become the content needs to be better than it used to be. So it needs more time and uh, the team need more of you. So it's just not. And that's why I kind of stopped YouTube really and, and thought, OK, well, half an hour at the end of each day, I'll put up an Instagram post of, of what I've been up to or upload some stories if people like it, great. If not, uh, it's kind of can't do too much more unless I bring mm. a team with me, which I'd love to. But of course, then then you need a partner or a sponsor to to fund that media team following you around. Yeah, and I, I like to talk about racing itself. So I guess the story I'd, I'd like to tell is is your mindset and preparation going into a race, and what is that, and how has that developed over the years, and then what do you do now before getting in a race and before setting up on race day. So now the process, like if you take, for instance, the main championships, obviously I do quite a few. Let's say if mm -hmm. I'm in FIWC, which I've done for the last kind of eight, nine years, if it's a lead up to, to that race, then it would be normally flying to the, the race team to do simulator sessions um, or seat fits or um, and some kind of engineering meetings and so on. Not always, but most of the time before each race weekend. Then you'd have a, a, a test um, or a rollout the week before, then fly to the race weekend on a Wednesday normally. Thursday, you'd have a track walk with the team, um, run through sim, data analysis, stint analysis, driver change practice, all that stuff that goes on. It's it's very, very scheduled, very meticulous, all the way down to learning how to fix certain parts on the cars because we're in endurance racing. If the car breaks down on track, we have to fix certain things ourselves. We have to know how to fix the throttle cable or TPMS or certain bits that we yeah. have tools for in the car. Back in the day, it was watch a YouTube video online of a go-kart track and hop in the car and turn up and flirt with the girl that you like and have a bacon sandwich and get on the track. And that was kind of it. But um, yeah, now it's become uh, a lot more scheduled and uh, meticulous. 
Yeah, and in terms of sort of like mentally, what are you going through? Is there a, is there a process you like to calm nerves to to focus yourself? I mean, what is that process for you? Music was always a big thing for me. I always liked listening to um, kind of uplifting and and pumping music before I was getting ready to to go out, especially when I was younger. Now getting the time is is harder. Again, almost all the championships you're racing, including Le Mans. British GT, McLaren Achora, everything, you mm. have to have a a bronze or silver graded driver in the car with you. Uh, normally that means it's an AM driver who uh, you're effectively hired by as well as the team. So you're making sure that they're comfortable, making sure that they're not nervous, that they've got all the data they need and they've looked through the video and they're ready. Um, so almost you forget about yourself to a point. Um, yeah. And that's what's happened for me in recent years. And although it's nice to look back and think, oh, I'm kind of just doing this robotically now. There is a little part of you uh, that's, or at least for me anyway, that's thinking in the background, I really feel like I need another little bit of time to myself if I really want to get the most out of myself here. So it feels like sometimes you are sacrificing a little bit of your own mm. pace, time and talent to to give that to the team and the other driver. Yeah. And so what is it? Because obviously you do a bit of driver coaching. You have done driver coaching in the past. So what is it when those those bronze silver drivers come up to you and say like, what do I need to improve on? How do you, I guess, digress and open them up and sort of pick apart their, their style and help them improve? So in karting, it used to be obviously just watching on the track, old school coaching, uh, timing, corner to corner, watching, going out in the cart with them and improving their driving style. Now, it's a lot more complicated, but also a lot more simple in the fact that the car's more complicated and has so many sensors on it that now you can simply unplug whatever you've got, your V-Box or your P1 system or whatever, yeah. put it into a computer, and you can have your brake trace, your throttle trace, your GPS trace, your camera, um, everything from dampers, aero balance, all of that plugged in, overlaid against your lap so that you can mm. literally see what centimeter on the track they're braking versus you are with how much steering angle, with how much throttle and brake. So it becomes much, much easier for them to see where the mistakes and me are happening uh, and then how to rectify them. So we can literally now say, rather than going, oh, I was watching you at turn two and it looks like you can brake and change gear a little bit later compared to car three. Now we can actually say compared to car three, you're seven meters earlier and you're 20 bar down on brake pressure and you're riding the throttle at the same time with five degrees less lock on. And it becomes much more analytical. So when I say complicated, but more simple, that's what I mean. There's much more to take in, but it becomes factual rather than observa observatory. That's the wrong word. Rather than just purely observing and trying to believe those facts from your coach. So it gives us a lot more tools to pass on to them. Mm. And, when it, and when it comes to sort of outside the track is there is there advice or mentorship that you offer there as well in terms of they asking about oh i don't know how to do, deal with a partner or how to deal with a, a friend that's coming to races and distracting me is, is there advice you can offer there as well yeah so it's something i again because i was always kind of switched on that motorsport might never last and i'm lucky that it still is that as well as when I was younger and in school on the side, trying to learn how to make PDFs for sponsors and trying to attract media left, right, and center is uh, always trying to uh, focus forwards to stuff that I can do on the side. So as well as commentating and other bits and bobs, I also set up a management company. Now I never mm. actually ended up taking anyone on for a, quite a few years. I looked after a few kids, but never officially as, as Olive Web Racing Management. I mean, the website's still live and, and, and I still have that ability in the future, but I set it up super early, like seven years ago. Sounds strange to set something up like that seven years ago and not do anything with it for seven years. But I always thought to myself, I need to give and that's the same for what we're talking about with the social media content on the side. I need to give a hundred percent of my time to being the best racing driver that I can. Um, and when I got into Le Mans racing nine years ago, I thought, right, I'm never going to be able to be Tom Christensen unless I give a hundred percent of my time to have that record like him or Alan McNish or whoever, so that then my management company is more successful because I've got that name. Yeah. If I split my time 50-50, then I'll become an average racing driver with an average management company. So that's why I never did anything with it. And I'm still on that path to make a name in as many championships as I can, collect some more wins, meet some more people, 
And then one day I'll kind of reboot that back up. And so, yes, I still coach and look after people on the side and help them with all of that. The bronze drivers I race with when they need sponsorship decks doing, we help them with that. And then, Mm. you know, I, I let them feed off any of the social following that I've collected or contacts I've got on my Rolodex to help them because the more they race, the more they're going to hire me to race. So we're helping each other at the same time. No, brilliant. And when it comes to, I guess, relationships off track, I mean, your, your father, your wife, so, so how did that, how did that journey go? And how did you find time to cultivate your relationship outside of, outside of racing? So my dad ended up loving the racing. He, for quite a few years, never missed a single race that that I went to. And it became a real passion of, of his because he wasn't even watching Formula One before I got into racing and, and mm. wasn't really into cars full stop. So I think together we both fell in love with motorsport and, and F1 and the dream of getting there together. And, and fundamentally, I, I wouldn't have been able to be where I am without my parents. Yeah. Um, and in terms of uh, now my wife, Nyla, we, again, it was it's down to motorsport. It's, I, I ended up being hired for um, a stunt job that was um, happening in Beirut and, and we'd met again through racing uh at a wedding a few months prior in Mallorca from a guy that I raced with in Mercedes and mm. then she was in Beirut and, and we met and uh, she came around to the tests in pre-season that I was doing at that time and she just sold her business so she was free to travel so she was literally coming to the races with me and that relationship then grew and we started living together and it became it was hard for her because i was away more than ever because i raced in more than one championship yeah. and there's only so many races that she could come to especially endurance races you know it's all good and well having having a, a girlfriend or wife who's into motorsport which she isn't massively but supported me yeah. but even the best world in the world no matter how much you love racing i couldn't imagine especially not being in it, going and watching countless 12, 6, 8, and 24-hour races throughout the year it would just be too much even for me. So um, we ended up not spending as much time together. So um, that's actually half the reason I'm actually in the UAE now. So we're uh, now splitting our time between here and the UK. So when I go off racing, she has a better base for for her work and her team and a, and a nicer place to be. Brilliant. And so when it came to, I guess, the racing, obviously – fear and and risk is a big thing so how did you guys talk about that and and you staying you staying you if that makes sense and not having the 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 horrible sort of crashes and 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 how did how did you like to sort of i guess yeah how did you have the conversation so we didn't actually need to weirdly have the conversation because she's braver than i am so she she's just finished her thousandth skydive last month so she's a, a, a skydiver herself. So she, she never really saw racing as, I say she never saw it as dangerous. She saw a couple of crashes and, and then maybe got worried, but it was never really anything where she was like, oh, you need to be safe because I could just be like, well, you need to stop jumping out of planes then. So we just kind of call it even. And she's allowed to jump out of a plane on Wednesday if I can go to the track on a Thursday. And and, and that's that. Obviously now we have a kid. It's I say it's changed, but once once she's got her helmet on and she's jumped and once I've got mine on them in the car, it's exactly the same. And I, and I don't say that with any kind of guilt or, or anything yeah. because if it was different, then I'd probably be in more accidents than if I was fully focused and, and not thinking about anything externally. So the danger conversation never really happened. We don't do maybe some of the other non um professional activities that we used to do like cliff diving or or hanging off the side of freaking tall rocks or buildings or whatever that we used to get for pure adrenaline purposes that had zero financial income or benefit to yeah. our lifestyle so we, we stopped all that kind of stupid and dangerous stuff but um yeah she'll keep skydiving and i'll keep racing no pretty and um, your, your daughter kelly isn't it yes yeah yeah how, how does she understand what's going on does she know what, what mommy, mommy and daddy do on the side um she's been to a couple of races she doesn't quite she's just turned two so she doesn't quite get it yet um Mm. she does like the cars uh skydiving she went to watch nyla twice both times didn't go well because she's covered in this parachute and all these straps and this helmet on and 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 she saw her land and was quite happy but then got really upset because she thought she was in danger because of all this stuff on her so 
poor video of her crying while, until she takes all of her stuff off. She's screaming, mommy, take it off, take it off. So it's uh, she's not quite grasping it yet, but I'm sure she's going to be a daredevil. Yeah. And how did you, how did you guys, how is parenting and how are you finding that responsibility? Because I, I mean, I'm, I'm single. I have no responsibility. I'm just interested in how, how has that been for you? The change of, of having, having no, having no, uh, no child to, to, to now race, race driving full time and, and, and that. So how has, how has the parenting been for you guys and for you personally? It's been amazing in terms of seeing we're lucky. She's, she's a very happy girl. Uh, it's amazing coming back and, and seeing how happy she is and we get to spend quality time with her. And in the UK, our, our home's very close to my parents, so she gets to see her grandparents a lot. Um, and when we're in the UAE, we have some help, so Nyla can still go to work and I can still go to work and travel a bit more freely. So it's almost hard to remember what it was like before. I mean, certainly at the start, I think maybe we're just lucky with the timing because sounds weird to say lucky with the time because obviously COVID was such a horrible thing mm. uh, and horrible thing as well, because I actually missed the birth of, of Cali because of COVID. Um, so I wasn't even allowed in the room. So I, I literally got delivered a baby the next day um, by Nyla. But because what I mean by lucky that happened during COVID is because there wasn't any, we weren't allowed to do anything. We were both fully attentive to Cali for, for the first half a year, year where nothing was happening. And it was only when permission started coming in for, for races to, to be allowed to happen um, under kind of strict COVID rules that I started traveling again. Um, so, yeah, we the first part of her life, we were both fully there. And it was almost a blessing that that, that was so, you know, the world was so locked down that, that we didn't have any opportunity, even if we wanted to, to go off and do any extra work. Now, obviously, it's a bit different, but she's in nursery now. So. You know, she actually feels like a little girl. She's kind of in the back of the car speaking French when she comes back from school and blowing our minds every day. Yeah. It's something that I, I look forward to in the future. If I'm honest, and I can't wait for that part of my life. But anyway, and, and talking about the future, um, Ollie, for you, um, and obviously racing is a big part of that and, and being the best you can be, definitely, from what I've heard. So for you, what is what does the future look like? And if I was to say the next five, 10 years are going to be some of the best five, 10 years you can possibly have, for you, what, what is the, the plan and what would be the, the goals around that? The goal would be to win Le Mans. Uh, that, that would be, that's still the main goal. Um, we managed to win the championship in 2014, European Le Mans championship, and we got on the podium at Le Mans. Um, but I really want to win it. O overall, mm -hmm. it might be a stretch because it depends on on the hypercar class and what drivers get in and not, but at least in, in class, whether that's in GT or, or, or LMP. And other goals, just just keep racing in 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 high end motorsport. Want to be in top championships. Always have a main championship throughout the year to to be racing in because I just know that everything else feeds off that. And I'm very lucky for all the stuff I do on the side with stunt driving or commentating or filming or or classic racing. But all of those stem from being. Uh, Oliver Webb, European Le Mans champion or Asian Le Mans or anything that I've done in the past. So without the without that key championship and my key passion driving me forward, then I know that I wouldn't get the rest of the the amazing fun stuff I love doing on the side. Yeah. And, and do you, I guess, do you, do you feel like if you don't get that, then you've lost something or are you all about the journey? No, I would feel like I've lost something. I think um, more than ever, I... I do feel pressure kind of um, kind of once I got into my 30s. When I turned 30, it didn't do anything for me. Didn't I didn't really think twice about it. But maybe subconsciously, I do feel that that pressure day to day. And I think that that pressure really is uh, social media driven. You know, a lot of it is that mm. it's, a, it's a tough world to sit and watch everyone else's um, success. And it is very, you know, I need to spend time off it. And I'm sure everyone's guilty of this, but we're just open to things that were already happening anyway. So you might see an ex-teammate of yours win a race you've always wanted to race or when Verstappen got into Formula One at the record youngest age and, and you know, you'd maybe test driven an F1 car but never got in like I did. And it's hard not to see that you kind of see them and you feel happy for them, especially if it's a friend. But then it's hard not to feel that, that pressure and that social anxiety from seeing everyone do so well online. You have to remind yourself that it was always happening before. It's just now we're seeing it. And I have to kind of put my blinkers back on and focus forward. So I would feel 
like I'd miss something if I didn't win at Le Mans um, and more so ever now, but just in myself as well, uh, mm. rather than just seeing everyone else do it online. But um, yeah, it's, it, there's so much racing happening now, so many opportunities in other championships. Um, and I do just have to kind of keep going back and, and looking at that kid who was kind of on the way back from a karting track to boarding school and and about to do five hours worth of work and still feeling as happy as ever. So whenever I get frustrated that I didn't win a race or whatever, I kind of have to still pinch myself and realizing I'm still doing what a lot of people would be dreamed to be doing. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's also one of those things that don't compare your chapter 25 to someone's chapter 34. You don't know what's going on behind like behind closed doors. So yeah, it might seem like they're winning F1 and they're and they're having a great time in Le Mans, but you never know. They they break be breaking down outside of it. But yeah, I mean it seems like you've you've done so much already, so much to be proud of. And what is it, I guess I'm just interested out of out of just pure geek. But what is it for you, the, the team, the drivers at Le Mans, what do you see as the, the best way to get that win? I think the first thing is, and it sounds like passing the buck, but the first thing is having a good secret silver, which in FIWC, in, in every category except type of car, you need, you need a silver driver. And getting we call it a secret silver basically a silver graded driver who's as quick as most bronzes and has maybe not been graded correctly by the championship it's like getting someone in the pga tour who's got a handicap when everyone else is going off scratch and and him being put into your team so that's a big part of it um getting in the right team at the right time with the right backing uh and i had that when i was with alpine and, and they've done very well ever since um rebellion obviously did very well when they came came in as privateers in WEC as well you just got to have the perfect team, everything from the good teammates with the good silver to good backing from that team like Alpine had at the time. Um, and and then wanting to put all the efforts in, not running it as a business, but running it as a sport. And, and that's what I really noticed with the best teams I've ever raced with is they weren't running it as a business. Um, they were running it as a sport. Everyone wanted to win. That was the main focus. Mm. And do you feel like more teams now are running it like businesses instead of sports? And does that take away from the, I guess, the fun of it? Yeah, I think, and I understand that as well because a lot, a lot of the time, people feel hard done by, it, especially with some of the M drivers, is they feel hard done by sometimes by the team, especially when invoices come in or uh, they see where the team's angle or focus is. But at the end of the day, is a lot of these team managers, even with these high end teams and all the way up to Formula One on a much much larger scale is the people running it have an invested interest. They have their own family. It's it's a business that has to pay on a big scale shareholders or on a small GT3 team. It's got to pay the workers and all of their families. It's got to survive. And the team is only there if it makes money. So it seems weird when when you think about it compared to to other other sports and, and the direction other sports go in. But yeah, it has to be run as a business and more people do run it as a business. The only teams really out there who don't are, the ones with crazy investment um, from people who get philanthropists who just absolutely love the sport and they'll do anything to see it succeed. Yeah. And is, 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 is running a race team anything you've ever thought about and something that you'd do in the future? Definitely, yeah. It's It's been on the cards. And, and anytime I have an idea like that, I'll be up most of the night writing a business plan to make it work. So I've got that on the computer ready to go if anyone ever did uh, came up. And there was a couple of people in the past in the last few years actually that I've, I've spoken to who would maybe own the team and I would manage it. And, and that's something I've thought about because I do love that side of it more than I ever thought I would. I always thought I'd want to race and that would be it. And then mm. when I got in the commentary and then when I got into the coaching and the media side, and then I thought, actually, do you know what? I would love to be a team manager because I also like the strategic side as well. So maybe I'm not the best at all of those things, but maybe I'm, one of the best people at doing 80% of those things well or at 80% level, you know? So a team manager is someone who's very good or good at everything, but maybe not amazing at one particular thing. And they can put all of that together and control a good team at quite a high end. So yeah, that's something in the future I would love to look at. That's brilliant. And I don't know we're coming towards the end here, but there are, there are a few like sort of fast five questions that I'd like to ask at the end. Um, and they're just silly sort of, some of them are silly questions, some of them are sort of maybe things I've missed. So the, the first one being um, ultimate three-car garage. What would you have? Um, oh, yeah. this one's hard. Ultimate <laughs> three-car garage. I, w- one would one would be, and it always is, would be um, the 1967 
Shelby Mustang Eleanor from from Gone in sixty seconds. Spec just yeah. like that. That I'd always have one classic. Um, but then this question ten years ago would be a lot easier, I think. But now there's a new car. Less, less cars, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's just there's so many cars out there and so many options now. Um, I do love I do love the look of the um, Valkyrie AMR Pro, but not, but the thing is if okay, so if I pick that as a second car, then I need an actual usable car, don't I? I need a I need a day to day car. Um, if I had to then live with a car, maybe something like an Audi RS Q8 or like a really nice sporty family four by four. Um, maybe I'd say the new Ferrari SUV because I do like the look of it, but I've never driven it, so I'd need to know. So three very random different cars, but if I'm thinking practically, then yeah, crazy track car that's I'm sure one day um, will be made road legal with a number plate, mm. and then an old-school classic, and then a family car, yeah. Yeah, the family car always seems to be a, a like an Audi RS6 or something like that, or even in the M3 Touring, I guess, that's just come out. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't not have a not have a fast SUV. Um, the next question is: you can only got one car to drive on any track or road in the world, but you can only do it once. Um, where would you go and what would you take? A Formula One car around Spa. Okay, that was pretty easy. Is that a, I guess that's a dream. Um, yeah, I've driven a couple of Formula One cars in the past: um, V8, V10s, and um, and Turbo, the new ones. But they've been a they've either been a a track. That I didn't like too much, like Paul Ricard, or it's been, or Hareth, or it's been doing a demo, so it's been in the street, and or it's or it's been a media event, and the car's limited, so I can't really get the most out of it. So if I can have a, if I can have uh, an F duct DRS Sebastian Vettel Red Bull, two thousand and don't know what it was twelve, round Spa, that'd be great. Brilliant, and what my Spa just out of interest. Uh, it's just the best track I've ever driven. I actually made a list during lockdown of all the tracks I've ever been to. Um, and uh, I, I won't risk opening it up in case it closes this chat. But I, I, it's, I think I think it's 170, which is quite mental. Um, and just nothing, just nothing compares to the flow. Every single corner makes sense. Um, okay, maybe the old bus stop before the new bus stop, but I never, I never drove the old, old one. Um, I was born in 91, so I watched it, but I never drove it. Um, yes, I love street circuits. I've been lucky enough to drive Monaco F- F1 track and Macau in F3 as well. So I do love Macau, but Monaco, Monaco, uh, Monaco Spa just works. And in a Formula One car, it would be amazing. I've driven it in an LMP1 car, and it just was unbelievable. So I just the only step above that is is, a, is an F1 car. Yeah, no, fantastic. Uh, is that one of those things I've never been to Spa, but it's in the list. I've done Nurburgring, so that's one I've checked off, and that was that was brilliant. But yeah, Spa, is, Spa can't wait for Spa. Um, but yeah, so the next next question is, is who inspires you? That could be people, things, uh, day to day. What is where do you get your inspiration from? I get most of my inspiration from podcasts, um, and I don't really have one person in particular. Um, I have podcasts that I listen to: uh, Jay Shetty, Diary of a CEO, plenty of kind of people who speak to inspiring people. And from all sorts of different walks of life, whether it's diet, nutrition, fitness, business, sports, um, uh, the Mindset Mentor is a good podcast as well. Jake Humphrey's um, uh, podcast as well that, that he does is, is high performance podcast is really good. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think of one person in particular, but there's so many inspiring people out there. And honestly, I, I can listen. I used to listen to, and I still do. I love music, but all I listen to now when I'm driving now I'm doing British championships again, because the last, the last nine, 10 years, I'm always on planes going to races because I was always abroad. So I ended up watching films, but last year for the first year and forever, I was back in the UK championship doing British GT and GT yeah. Cup. And all I listened to was podcasts and I loved it. It made me look forward to getting in the car. I always learned something new. Um, so yeah, I just like inspiring people. Brilliant. And and the advice that you would give to a younger you or someone coming up through the ranks that wants to do something with their passion or purpose, what would you what advice would you give them? It's a hard one because part of me wants to say maybe part of me wants to say focus more on the on track racing, but then I think this is my this is my honest answer. I, I think if I did focus more on the on track 
stuff only. Mm. I think I would be financially in a worse place now. I don't think I'd be earning as much money and doing as well on the side, but maybe I would be a factory driver, which I never ended up being. Now, that being said, the, the truth of what most kids and certainly what I didn't know growing up is that most private pro racing drivers, if they have a good background, earn more than factory drivers. Yeah. So this goes excluding F1, of course. Um, so I'd, uh, I wanted to say focus more on the racing because then I would have got my dream of being a factory driver or maybe getting into Formula One because I got through to World Series, which at the time was was the stepping stone to Formula One and had a couple of Formula One contracts, but never quite made it. And I always wonder, oh, if I wasn't doing this stuff on the side or the social media stuff, would I have more time? Would I have been a hundredth quicker here or there? But I don't want to give my younger self that advice because then maybe I wouldn't have created the the name for myself that I did on the side, which is also important. Um, so I would just say to my younger self, meet as many people as possible. For yeah. all of the for all of the times that I didn't want to go out or didn't want to go to this event or that, go to all of them and, and shake everyone's hand and meet everyone. Because when I actually think about some of the people I race with now or some of my partners, I met them in the places that you would just never ever think of. So uh yeah, meet as many people as possible. Yeah, it's it's not it's not who you know, it's how you know them, I guess. So uh yeah. yeah. Um and the last one is, is would you love most about motorsport and cars and everything in that sort of genre of things? Every, what do I love most about downforce? <laughs> I say downforce, but actually <laughs> I, I've never had I've never had as big a smile on my face as I am like sideways in the wet in a classic car and that has no downforce. So um, maybe that's the wrong answer, but everything around stringing the perfect lap together. And I think that's also comes back to why I love Spa so much because there's it flows and it works and you can apply technique lap by lap to make it better. Fantastic. And I um, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have this chat and uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's, uh, yeah, it, it means a lot. So thank you. No, thank you very much. It was fun. Hey, I wanted to ask a massive favour of you. 80% of you who listen to the podcast regularly don't follow it. If I could ask you just to hit follow wherever you listen, I would really appreciate it. It's an excellent way for us to get bigger and better guests and the ability to grow the community beyond anything we could imagine. It also helps the podcast grow more than you could ever know. So thank you. I hope you learned something new about Oliver in this episode. If you follow him regularly, you'll know that that down-to-earth and grounded man I spoke to is also as genuine on camera as he is off. Getting guests of Ollie's calibre is only the beginning. And the bigger the guests, the more it is down to you listening. So thank you. This podcast aims to show you what's possible. And if we can get the best of the best on this podcast, we can learn together how to be the best. And that's the ultimate goal, to unlock how the people we find inspiring get inspiration and the actions we need to take to make it. After all, I'm not perfect and these podcasts are as much about helping you as they are about helping me. So if you take anything away from this podcast today, let it be make the most of every opportunity and apply yourself. Make sure you put the work in. Anything is possible. With that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you for listening. As you could probably tell for a while now, I Like to Race have been sponsoring the podcast. This platform is a brilliant place for you to share all things motorsport. Its creator has been on the podcast, so you've got that to back it up. I have been playing around with it and putting the podcast on there for people to listen to as well. So if you need anything motorsport related and the content you're looking for isn't on those bigger platforms, there is no other place to find your daily fix than iliketerace.com. Head over there now and join me in the discussion.